Most folks assume they understand what biblical authority is. Most church-going Christians assume that they believe in biblical authority. But a few years ago, the good folks at Willow Creek Community Church conducted a nationwide survey upon thousands and thousands of church-going Christians, and this is what they found. They found that less than 50% of them, when faced with a choice of doing X or doing what the Bible says about X, less than half of them will choose to do what the Bible says about doing X. Less than half. And so I think there's a disconnect between what we say we believe and what we actually believe in terms of this word biblical authority. And so we're going to wade into this big scary word, biblical authority. It's actually two words, but authority is the more scary. I mean, biblical is not so bad, right? We all like the Bible. Don't you have at least one or two around the house? Maybe one in the car. I mean, Bibles are okay to have on hand, but, you know, authority, that's a nasty word, okay? Unless you're the one in charge. <laughs> and then, and then authority is fine, okay? And authority, let me just define it for you. Authority is simply the right to control, command, or determine. The right to control, command, or determine. And, and here's what I know about you. If you're anything like me, you're not against authority per se. I mean, think about it. The people at work, they should follow the rules. These jerks on US 27 that are texting, I mean, they're doing all this stuff, right? They should follow the rules, shouldn't they? It's just that you think you should be the exception. I mean, you know, you're running late. It's just one text. I mean, for crying out loud, it's not like you do it all the time. Or, <laughs> I mean, just go for the logic. I mean, you and I, see, we always want to be the exception when it comes to following the rules or, or following or living under or submitting to authority. I mean, how do you explain why so many, how else why so many of us speed? I have kids, and my kids beautifully demonstrate this, okay? When I just had two kids... Uh, there was an older and a younger, obviously. And the older kid, who's my son, would boss around his sister, tell her what to do. He would kind of try and be a third parent, okay? And, and I loved it. Jillian had this phrase when she was younger. John Mark, you're not the boss of me. And every time she said it, I was like, you tell him, baby, go. Because <laughs> I was like, dang right, he's not the boss of you, you know. And, and so the funny thing is, See, now I've got a third child, so now Maddie's come along. And now you would think that being on the receiving end of such abusive authority, that when it became time for Jillian to be behind the wheel, for Jillian to be the one who's the older, the wiser, the more loving and kind, a thousand points of light, it would be her. But no. No, she does the very same thing. And Maddie, Maddie doesn't have all the words yet. She doesn't have that phrase. And she'll just say, stop it, Jillian, stop it. And, you know, she'll stamp off and just crying and everything else. Okay? The truth of the matter is, I'm the same way when it comes to people trying to tell me what to do. Don't you feel that way? I mean, when mom or dad call on the phone and they're, wah, 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 and, you know, and you ought to and you really should and how's come you never and, blah, 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 and you're, you know, like, quit telling me what to do. That's why I moved out. Thought this would end, okay? And none of us like being told what to do. None of us. It's why most of us moved away and got our own apartment. We wanted to come out from under mom and dad so that we could finally be free. But let me ask you a question. If in the United States of America we dispensed with all of the authorities, what would life be like? If there were no laws, no rules, anybody and everybody could do whatever they determined to do, what would it be like? Somalia. 
<laughs> it would be like Somalia. No garbage collection, no electricity, no water. There would be marauding bands of young men with guns going through the neighborhoods. It would be Somalia. That's, that's kind of a picture. We have it. Thank goodness for Somalia. We now know what it's like to have no authority in place. Um, I mean, you couldn't drive anywhere. I mean, nobody would be obeying the traffic laws. Um, so here's, here's the thing. Getting out from under authority actually restricts your freedom. Getting out from under authority actually makes your life more stressful, not less stressful. Getting out from under authority actually robs you of peace. And I want to wade into that today by looking into the life of Jesus. Um, Some of us, some of us who are older, discovered that biblical authority wasn't such a bad thing, only we discovered it kind of a day late and a dollar short. And, and, And if you were to sit us down at the coffee shop and we would talk about, you know, some of the things we did in high school, Oh, if we could just go back. I wish I didn't do some of those things in high school. We have that thought. And what we're, what we're verbalizing when we say that, when we say, oh, I wish I knew then what I know now, what we're really saying is, if only I had come under God's authority, I would have been better off. I wouldn't have gone out with him and done those things. I wouldn't have, and just fill in the blank. If you want to be really free this morning, I want to suggest to you that the best way to do it is to actually come under the authority of God, come under the authority of the Bible. And to do that, I want to look into the life of Jesus. Jesus, Dallas Willard says this, Jesus was the freest man who ever lived. Do you believe that claim? I believe that claim. I do. You want to know why I believe it? Because Jesus could do two things I can't. Actually, he could do a lot of things I can't, but two very important things. Two very important things. Oh, I wish I had the ability to do these things. Thing number one that he could do, he could determine when and how to give up his life. And he could determine how and when to take it up again. Wouldn't you like that button? Reinitializing. Be awesome. He could do, so if he can do those things, I'm listening to what the man has to say and how he lives his life. Okay, and, to, and if you follow the life of Jesus and you, and you read what, what takes place and how the gospel accounts describe the life he lived and what he taught and said, you find that even though he was God, even though he was equal with God the Father, even though all those things were true, he would say these odd things like, I only do what the Father tells me. Or when he's in the garden at the end, the night, that he, the night he's arrested, he's praying because he knows he's going to be arrested and crucified. And he's praying, I really don't want to do this, but not what I want, what you want. Huh? He submitted to the authority of God the Father, and he submitted to the authority of the Scriptures. Every time you see the Pharisees engaging with Jesus in the Gospels, Jesus never says, oh, just throw that stuff out. That's not true. What does he say? I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. Right? Okay? And so open your Bible. Open your Bible to the Gospel of John, chapter 5. John, chapter 5. And and we're going to wade into a very important passage about Jesus' claim to be God and what that means. And it's just, it, it amazes me to read it in that context, okay? John chapter 5, and we're going to be in verses 19 through 30, all right? 
there's a, before we get to that, I, I want to tell you there, there's, this, uh, there's this scene, okay? There's this, this interchange that happens between Jesus and Pilate uh, when he's arrested. And, and Pilate more or less says to Jesus, you know, don't you, don't you realize who I am? I mean, I'm the big cojone. I'm, I'm, hello, I'm the authority. You know, if you just go along and you give us what we're looking for, I'll set you free. Clearly, these people who've made up these charges, you know, it's dumb. We could make this go away. And Jesus' response to him is basically, huh, you, you don't really have authority. The only authority you have is borrowed from my father. Okay, so here it is. And, and the precipitating event for this interchange and for Jesus' teaching in chapter 5 is that he's done something absolutely unforgivable. He healed a lame man on the Sabbath. That's working. <gasps> you don't seem aghast. He was working on the Sabbath, and the good Sabbath followers of the first century caught him red-handed. <gasps> it's Saturday. You shouldn't be doing anything that was work to heal that man. You're not from God. You don't have anything. You know, they were panicking and, and flipping out over it. And this is Jesus' response to him. And, this, and, and, and we'll pick it up here in verse 19. Jesus replied, I assure you, the son can do nothing by himself. I assure you, the son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. And so, in saying that, he's saying, hello, yes, I am God. I do with the father. My father is the heavenly father. My father is God the father, yeah. Mm-hmm. And what he does, that's what I do. I'm God, thank you. Mm-hmm. Yep, you're right. Then he goes on, verse 20. For the father loves the son and tells him everything he's doing, and the son will do far greater things than healing this man. You'll be astonished at what he does. He will even, get this, raise from the dead anyone he wants to, just as the Father does. Okay, so in case, in case there was any doubt with his statement, at the, 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 you know, the first statement, the second statement make it, makes it pretty clear. Only God can raise the dead. So it's, you know, yep, mm-hmm, God, I'm God, thank you. Verse 22, and the Father leaves all judgment to his Son, so that everyone will honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. But if you refuse to honor the Son, then you're certainly not honoring the Father who sent him. That's a little complicated, but let me flesh that out for you. If you don't honor the Son, you're not honoring the Father. If you don't obey the Son, you're not obeying the Father. I have my authority. It's the one and the same as the Father. And he's making that pretty clear in this statement. And, and, and he has the ability to judge, which, you know, for all the Jews listening to this, this was a big deal for him to say that. <sighs> Only God can judge. But he goes on, I assure you, verse 24, those who listen to my message and believe God, believe in God who sent me, have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death to life. Verse 25, and I assure you that the time is coming. In fact, it's here when the dead will hear my voice, the voice of the Son of God, and those who listen will live. And here's the kicker. The Father has life in himself and has granted his Son to have life in himself. These are huge claims. I can lay down my life. I can take it up. I can raise you back from the dead. I can do everything God does because I am God. In fact, I will be in the driver's seat when it comes to judgment day and how people are sorted out. 
I'm that guy. And yet, indeed, the time is coming when all the dead will hear in their graves will hear the voice of God's Son and they'll rise again. Those who've done good will rise to eternal life. Those who continued and even will rise to judgment. But I do nothing. This is the kicker. I do nothing without consulting the Father. I judge as I am told. And my judgment is absolutely just because it's according to the will of God who sent me. It's not merely my own. Often, for Max Vanderpool, my goal in life is to please myself. My goal in life is to make me happy. My goal in life is how I can have a better week or a better day. But Jesus, see, he says, my goal isn't to please myself. My goal is to please God the Father. I don't do just anything. I do what is according to his will. I am under that authority. Even though I have that authority, I've play, I'm living out life here and showing you how to live life under the authority of God. Now, I need to kind of push the pause button for a moment because I know some of us grew up in churches. I grew up, I spent some time in an independent fundamental Baptist church, right? And authority was a, a word used a lot. And what that word basically meant was, I'm an, I'm an authority, you do what I say. Don't drink, dance, smoke, or chew, or associate with those who do. Thank you. Don't see R-rated movies. Don't do this. Believe in these certain things. By the way, there's 50 pages of them or more. Memorize them, okay? You know, so, or you grew up Roman Catholic, and there's high authority, okay, in that context, and it's left a bad taste in your mouth. I want to remind you about the God, the Father God that's revealed in this book, revealed in the Bible, Okay, Jesus, in his life and ministry, he shows us that his heavenly Father, God the Father, is a good and just and loving heavenly Father. He's not cruel. He's not capricious. He's not mean. He's not like the gods of Mount Olympus. <laughs> hey, Zeus. Hey, Apollo. <laughs> Watch this. <laughs> oh, that was funny. Do that again. No, see, that's not, that's not the God that we see in here. Now, Keep in mind, there will be a judgment. There will be a sorting of people. That's part of the package. I don't like to talk about it, but it's in there, and it's true. But it's not capricious, and it's not mean. The God the Father that's revealed in here is a, is a father who loves his children and wants what's best for them. Now that I'm a parent, I get it. I have boundaries and limits for my kids not because I'm out to ruin their life. In fact, this is a father's speech that I give a lot now that I have a teenager. These rules are not in place because I want to ruin your life or make all your friends hate you. These, I am not acting this way because I want you to absolutely hate me and, you know, blah, blah, blah. <gasps> okay, disbelief. But what I'm saying is true. Why? Because I love my kids and I want what's best for them. I want them to succeed in life. I want them to be relatively happy. I want them to have opportunities. I want them to be as free as possible. But I understand in order to get there, there's boundaries that need to be in place. There's limits. There's certain roads that are just not good roads to be on. Why? Because I know where the road goes. God's the same way. And so when we're talking about biblical authority, what I want you to remember is that it's not with this mean, capricious guy. It's with somebody who has your best interest at heart. It's, it's with somebody who loves you and wants you to do well, all right? For those of you that are older, um, you've, 
you've been at places, haven't you, where you've heard an idea or a truth that was shared and you thought, oh, if I could just go back to when I was 20 and change X. You're ver- again, you're verbalizing. What you're verbalizing is, I wish I had been under the authority of God. Here's the thing, though. Culturally, in America, you and I are lied to all the time. We are. In magazines, in print, everywhere, everything in our culture says, don't let anybody tell you what to do. You live your own life. You choose your own course. You don't want to stay with him or her. You want to do this. You want to do that. You do it. You only get one go around. Don't let anybody tell you what to do. Can I just let you in on a secret? That's a lie straight from the pit of hell. It is. It's a pathway to misery. It, it is a pathway to misery. So many people, when they hear the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says, they're like, I don't, quit talking about what the Bible says. It's just going to ruin my life. No, no, no. It's not going to ruin your life. You know, at age 42, some of the couples I know, they're still married, they love each other, are the couples who've taken the principles and things that are taught in this book and woven them into their marriage. Some of the people that I know that have the most amount of financial freedom are people who've taken the principles and teachings and boundaries that are found in this book and applied them to their lives. Some of the people I know who are the most sexually free are the people who've taken to heart what's taught in this book. And I tell you, as a pastor, I run into so many people. And and when I'm talking about the fact that in my life, I've only known one woman, and that's Jenny, and I love her, and I still love her now, and she still loves me now. When I'm sitting in that context, I see the look on those young women's faces who've gone a different road. And it's a look that says, oh, I wish I could have that. That's what I wanted. Okay? I'm not, I'm not trying to sell you something that isn't good for you. And Jesus showed us that the better way of living is to, is to surrender to God's authority. This book should have the final say in your life. But here's the thing. Do you know what's in this book? I mean, it's one thing to say, I believe in biblical authority. And it's another thing to say, well, I'm going to surrender and I'm going to, I'm going to allow God to have a say in the choices that I make and the, the life I live and how I go about things. But how do you know what that is if you don't know what's in there? And so the challenge this morning is twofold. One, if you've been living life your way and you're the only person that factors in your decision-making matrix, I'd like you to consider letting God get in the driver's seat. I'd like you to consider putting yourself under the authority of God's Word. You won't regret it. You won't. It's not going to ruin your life. It isn't. It's a better way to live. Secondly, I want to challenge you to start reading in here. This year, I'm, I'm go- doing something different. I'm reading a book at a time. I'm doing the discipleship journal, uh, read through a book at a time thing. And on the table in the lobby today, there are three different Bible reading plans that you can engage in. One is called five, uh, five by Five. Spend five minutes a day, five days a week, just doing something. That's not even a lot, but it gets you in this book, and you start absorbing what's in there, stuff about God, how he operates, what's important to him, how life works, and it, it will make your life better. 